CodeCast, a podcast series presented by the International Cyanide Management Institute, or ICMI. This series provides our listeners with useful information about the International Cyanide Management Code to help you further understand the code's compliance requirements and expectations. Each CodeCast episode is designed to supplement the training and guidance materials that you can find on the Cyanide Code website. If you'd like to access these materials, please go to cyanidecode.org. In this CodeCast episode, we will discuss the Cyanide Code's expectations for spill prevention and containment measures for pipelines containing cyanide solutions. These expectations are described in ICMI's Guidance for Use of the Mining Operations Verification Protocol under Question 4.7.5 for Standard of Practice 4.7. Let's begin by understanding the Cyanide Code's objectives for cyanide pipeline spill prevention and containment systems. These objectives include collecting leaks and preventing releases to the environment. Collecting leaks and preventing releases also contribute to the code's broader objectives, such as preventing exposure of workers to spilled cyanide solution and protecting wildlife and water resources. To achieve these objectives, mining operations use both containment systems and spill prevention systems. For effective systems, operations must consider a number of factors including the nature of the cyanide solution in the pipeline, the local environment, and operational systems. First, in designing pipeline spill control systems, an important factor is the type and strength of cyanide solution in the pipeline. At the high end, cyanide feed pipelines may have free cyanide concentrations exceeding 30%. Concentrations in process solution pipelines typically range between 300 and 700 milligrams per litre wad cyanide. In tailings pipelines, wad cyanide concentrations range between the code's upper limit of 50 milligrams per litre for wildlife protection in open waters to less than 0.5 milligrams per litre. The physical form of tailings also matters. Slurry tailings, as the least viscous form, will flow the fastest and farthest from a pipeline if released to the environment. Paste tailings, as a more viscous form, will flow slower and remain nearer to a pipeline. Another important design factor is the pipe size and the pressure in the pipeline. Generally, a large high-pressure pipeline would release a greater volume of cyanide solution at a faster rate than a small diameter, low-pressure or gravity flow pipeline. A final design factor to note for pipeline spill control systems is where the containment starts and ends. A linear pipeline containment, for example, must capture a leak at the correct point. It also must convey the captured solution to an endpoint where it will not mix with incompatible materials or be released to the environment. Environmental conditions must also be considered in system design. The pipeline's proximity to surface water and the depth to groundwater should be considered, along with potential for impact to wildlife. Weather is also a consideration. Large temperature changes from day to night or from season to season may cause pipelines to expand and contract, and containment measures should be designed to allow for pipeline movement. Heavy snow can fill up containment channels in cold climates, and wind-blown sand can accumulate in arid climates, limiting visual inspections. Operational systems must also be considered in designing effective spill containment and prevention systems. 
both inspection and maintenance programs are mandatory prevention measures, regardless of what other measures are taken. Inspection frequencies should consider all the design and environmental factors we just discussed. For example, if a pipeline is close to surface water, more frequent inspections will likely be needed. It's important to note that inspections must be documented. Undocumented or informal inspections cannot be relied on for code compliance. The maintenance history for a pipeline must also be considered because maintenance usually increases with pipeline age. A pipeline that requires constant maintenance may be at the end of its design life, so that pipeline replacement, or at minimum, additional spill containment or prevention measures might be necessary to achieve the code's objectives. So far, we've discussed factors that should be considered in designing effective systems, like the type and strength of the cyanide solution, pipeline size and pressure, and environmental and operational factors. Let's now focus on the different types of pipeline secondary containment. Secondary containments for pipelines generally come in two categories, open or closed. An open containment typically surrounds only the bottom and sides of the pipeline, while a closed containment seals around the pipe. Both types have advantages and disadvantages. An open containment allows visual observation of the pipe, making it easy to inspect and maintain, and more importantly, to pinpoint a leak. The pipe inside a closed containment cannot be seen and requires more effort to find a leak, or at least to narrow its location down to a particular reach. A leak of any size can be seen with an open containment, but spotting small leaks is challenging with a closed containment. But on the other hand, closed containments can contain a pressurized spray leak more reliably than an open containment can. Snow, sand, dead vegetation, and debris can blow into open containments but not into closed containments. Again, the most effective type of containment will depend on the design as well as environmental and operational factors. Examples of open containment include geomembrane-lined channels. These are the most common type of open containments for long runs of large pipelines to and from heap leach facilities and tailing storage facilities. Their design, construction, and quality assurance measures are well understood in the mining industry. Open-topped concrete channels are suitable for large pipelines, but typically are used over shorter reaches than geomembrane line channels. Open-topped metal channels within a steel superstructure are commonly used when pipelines cross other pipeline channels or trafficways. Metal trays are ideal for small-diameter pipes, such as those conveying high-strength cyanide solution at a plant. Concrete plant floors can also count as open containment for plant piping. Unlined earthen channels may be acceptable for low-strength solution, but these would require frequent inspections, maintenance, and a written procedure for spill cleanup. Let's turn to what are known as diversionary structures. Diversionary structures, often known as dump ponds, are designed to capture, control, and retain any solution released at higher elevations along a pipeline. Diversionary structures are a special case of open-top containment at low points in a pipeline profile or, and at river or road crossings. 
These are typically used for large diameter pipelines. Dump ponds are best practice at low points to prevent overtopping of open pipeline containments or overfilling of the interstitial space in closed containments. At river or road crossings, best practice is to construct dump ponds on either side of the pipeline crossing so that any released solution will be completely contained. Now let's turn to examples of closed containments. Pipe-in-pipe containments are the most common type of closed containment systems. High-density polyethylene, or HDPE pipe, is often used as an outer pipe for long pipe runs. Reinforced concrete culverts, or corrugated metal culverts, are often used as outer pipes for short runs, like piping that must pass under mine roads. Closed or open metal conduits, known as pipe trays, are sometimes used for multiple elevated pipes passing between plant circuits or buildings. A special type of closed containment can be constructed with geomembrane liner by wrapping the liner completely around the inner pipe. The liner must be well sealed, preferably with a liner seal on top of the inner pipe. Complete containment is especially important where pipelines cross over or are close to natural water features, such as streams and rivers, and in these cases pipe-in-pipe systems are typically used. The challenge with closed conduits and containment is finding leaks. This means that it's important to install features such as interstitial monitoring. Ports, vaults or sumps at critical points or regular intervals are recommended to narrow down the location of a leak to a particular reach. The code requires that secondary containment for pipelines be competent. This means that containment must not be cracked or otherwise compromised. However, the containment must be visible to inspectors. Visibility can be an issue when sediment, snow, plants or other debris accumulates in a containment. An effective way to keep sediment out of open containments is to build them with an above-grade lip on both sides. If sediment does accumulate, hand labor is usually required to remove it, meaning that preventing sediment from entering is a better strategy than dealing with it after it's entered. Closed containments inherently keep sediment, plants and debris out, but they also preclude inspection of the inner pipe. The operation must then rely on the previously described leak detection methods implying that those leak detection devices must be regularly inspected and maintained. Now let's consider spill prevention and leak detection. Spill prevention overlaps with leak detection, but it is important to distinguish between them. In simple terms, spill prevention is any process that stops a spill from occurring in the first place or limits the amount of solution spilled. Leak detection, on the other hand, is any process or system that finds the leak after it has occurred. Proper documented pipeline maintenance programs, such as measuring wall thickness over time, are also spill prevention measures. Proper inspection programs serve both a spill prevention and a spill detection function. There are two common types of spill prevention systems, flow monitoring and pressure monitoring. Both types require sensors to detect rapid and large changes in flow or pressure, accompanied by an alarm, an automatic pump shutdown, and valve closure when changes are detected. 
Neither flow monitoring nor pressure monitoring can pinpoint the location of a leak, but they can limit the amount of solution spilled. It's important to understand that these systems are not effective for detecting or preventing small leaks and so cannot be relied on completely. That's where leak detection methods come into play. There are three basic categories of leak detection, internal, interstitial, and external. Internal testing is conducted on the pipe rather than its containment. Interstitial testing applies to closed containments, such as pipe-in-pipe containments. External testing applies outside of open or closed containments. Internal leak detection consists of periodic tightness testing or inventory controls. Internal tightness is measured by taking a pipe out of service, pressurizing the pipe, and measuring the pressure drop over time for comparison to a predetermined criterion. Inventory control is a mass balance method that measures the volume pumped at the starting point over a given time compared to the volume delivered at an ending point over the same time. A difference outside a predetermined criterion shows a leak. This method depends on the accuracy of the measurement devices and can detect leaks in large or long pipelines over extended time periods. But by the time the leak is found, a lot of the solution could have been leaked. Interstitial leak detection consists of ports, vaults or sumps installed on closed containments at critical points and at regular intervals. Critical points include connections such as valves, T's and unions. Regular spacing based on a defined volume of solution between points is a good starting point. The ports, vaults or sumps require regular inspection to check for leaks or continuous monitoring with liquid level sensing devices. Once a leak is detected, more work is needed to pinpoint the leak. Continuous line leak detection systems, such as fibre optic or acoustic, are also available from specialised vendors. External leak detection can be carried out by visual inspections, video observation or using drones. Temperature monitoring can also be used for leak detection if the solution has a drastically different temperature than the surrounding soil. Vapor monitoring may be possible if gases such as hydrogen cyanide gas or hydrogen sulfide gas are present. Inspections are a critical part of both leak detection and spill prevention. Walking inspections are most effective, but not always possible on long pipe sections. By mixing walking and aerial inspections, for example using drones equipped with video cameras, you can balance effort and effectiveness. Drive-by inspections of pipelines and containment are not always effective because of the interrupted focus and limited view of the pipe and its containment or prevention measures. Of course, Inspections and maintenance must be documented for code compliance. Let's review what we've discussed by looking at a few examples. Imagine a mine with a large diameter, high pressure pipeline conveying slurry tailings with 50 milligrams per liter wad cyanide between the process plant and a tailings storage facility. The pipe is frequently covered with snow in the winter and vegetation in the summer. The route is long and curvy with multiple high and low points. Part of the route parallels a nearby river and even crosses it at one of the low points. Groundwater is shallow, 
wildlife is diverse and abundant. The pipeline is old. Inspections are infrequent and sporadic. Maintenance is reactive when there are interruptions in service. This scenario is a worst case with respect to the nature and extent of an uncontrolled release. This scenario calls for a robust approach and a combination of both prevention and containment measures would be best practice. A reasonable approach would be pipe-in-pipe containment with inspection vaults at regular intervals, especially at low points where leak tailings could accumulate. Covered vaults could be instrumented with sensors to automatically detect a leak from the interstitial area between the pipes. Once a leak was detected, an alarm would go off in the plant control room, allowing the tailings pump to be shut down according to a written procedure for upset conditions. The low point at the river crossing would be equipped with a dump pond on either side of the river designed for the volume of tailings that would report by gravity flow after the pump is shut down. Given the proximity of surface water and the shallowness of groundwater, the dump pond would be lined and equipped with cameras for observation. The inspection frequency should be high, given the age of the pipeline, and a robust preventative maintenance program in place, including tightness testing of the internal pipe during programmed plant shutdowns. This joint approach responds to the totality of factors. Imagine a second mine with a medium-diameter, low-pressure HDPE pipeline conveying tailings decant return water with approximately 10 mg per litre wad cyanide from the tailings storage facility to the process plant. The pipeline is ground level. Its route is short, straight and sloped uniformly and gently. Surface water is far and groundwater is deep. There are no river crossings. The climate is arid and there's little wildlife. The pipeline is new. Inspections are frequent and regular. Preventative maintenance systems are in place. This scenario is a best case with respect to the nature and extent of an uncontrolled release. This scenario allows for a more flexible approach to containment or prevention, and either approach would be best practice. A reasonable approach is an alarm and pump shutoff based on detection of a sudden and drastic drop in pressure or flow rate, thereby limiting the volume of solution released. When accompanied by the already frequent inspections and preventative maintenance program, as well as a written procedure for spill cleanup, this approach responds to the totality of the factors. Finally, imagine a third mine with a small diameter, medium pressure stainless steel pipe conveying high-strength cyanide solution from a distribution tank to an addition point in the process plant. The pipeline is moderately long and elevated, with multiple 90-degree vertical and horizontal bends, as well as multiple unions. Most of the route passes over the concrete floors of the plant. However, one segment of the route passes near secondary containments for other process reagents, and another segment crosses over a well-travelled, unpaved road and walkway with adjacent native soil. Surface water is present but not close, and depth to groundwater is neither shallow nor deep. Some wildlife is present, and the climate is temperate. The pipeline is middle-aged. This scenario is an intermediate case with respect to the nature and extent of an uncontrolled release. This scenario calls for a flexible and robust approach to containment or prevention, 
but each approach might be better suited to different pipeline segments. A reasonable approach is an alarm and pump shutoff based on detection of a sudden and drastic drop in pressure, thereby providing an overall limit on the volume of leaked high-strength solution to the plant floor. However, any leak of high-strength solution over a frequently well-traveled road and walkway has potential consequences for workers and the environment. Installation of a metal pipe tray under this reach of the pipeline would be a proper containment measure, with a downspout that directs leaked high-strength solution to a safe endpoint, such as back into the process circuit or into a secondary containment for the cyanide distribution tank. Inspections should be frequent and regular due to the high strength of the solution and the presence of workers. This joint approach of both containment and prevention responds to the totality of factors. These three examples are typical of pipelines and conditions at many mining operations and illustrate the choices to be made when matching containment and prevention measures to the site factors to produce an outcome suited to the totality of the system. So far, we've discussed the typical containment, spill prevention and leak detection measures that operations should have in place for cyanide pipelines. But how do auditors determine whether an operation's overall pipeline management is compliant with the cyanide code? Evidence to support compliance with the code's requirements for spill prevention and containment measures for pipelines typically consist of observations and interviews with operators. It's easy to follow a ground-level, geomembrane-lined pipeline containment from start to end in the field. But it's less easy to see a pressure-activated spill prevention system. In that case, screenshots of the decision logic or set points on the control room screen, accompanied by a conversation with the control room operator, would be the best evidence. This could be supplemented with written documentation, such as vendor specifications for the sensors. Finally, plan and profile drawings or aerial photographs of long pipelines are useful in understanding topography, valves, road or river crossings, dump ponds, and other features. Auditors must use their judgment as to whether the totality of spill prevention and containment systems are effective in meeting the cyanide code's objectives. This concludes our codecast on spill prevention and containment measures for cyanide process pipelines. Additional details on this topic may be found in ICMI's Guidance for Use of the Mining Operations Verifications Protocol, available on the Cyanide Code website. If you have any questions on this topic or would like to make any comments, suggestions or requests for other topics to be covered, please send an email to info at cyanidecode.org.